You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Welcome again. Man, if this is your first time with us this morning, I just want to say thank you for making Impact a part of your Sunday. Uh, We have a welcome center up by the double doors where you walked in. There's a gift there for for you. It's just a way for us to say thank you for being here. Um, There's some connection cards there as well. And we ask that you fill that out, not so we can bother you, but just so we can pray with you um, and connect with you if you so desire, man. But I'm just glad that you are here. Uh, We're starting a brand new series today called Wonder. Now, I'm from the South, so I may say wander sometimes, but I'm really talking about wonder, right? I'm talking about the the wonderfulness, not like wandering away somewhere. So I just wanted to point that out before we ever start this series that I may interchange the way that I pronounce these words because I don't always pronounce things very clearly being from the South. If you know what I mean, just raise your hand. Anybody like that? Okay, good. So, The Christmas season, as you know, it's here. Man, it is here. There are lights everywhere. There are trees everywhere, right? There's garland everywhere. There's just all these different things. There's there's inflatables everywhere. It's just everybody wants to go all out for the Christmas season. And I'm not judging you if you do that. I'm just saying it's upon us. And if you don't believe it, you can ride through any neighborhood in Harlem and you will definitely see that it's here. And what Christmas does is it, it does something on the inside of people. And we, we mentioned this last week, but what, what happens is some people get in this, this sense of happiness and joy during the Christmas season. Other people get in this attitude of We'll just say grinchiness during the Christmas season. I grew up with like both of those spectrums, right, in my household. One of my parents was happy, joyful. The other one, not so much during Christmas, right? So I somehow fell in the middle, I'd like to say. Um, But maybe some people think I fell more to the grinchiness. But what I'm trying to say is this is that with all these emotions that come up and that well up inside of us during the Christmas season, I think that it's a prime opportunity for us to allow the Spirit to do something in our life. I think because, now, what I don't want you to think is that the the Spirit moving in us is some, some type of emotion because that is the furthest from the truth. And we talked about that as well last week, that it's not an emotional thing. It's that we're truly chasing after Jesus as He pursues us. But I think as humans, because we get in this this season of Christmas and these emotions are welling up, whether it's happiness or sadness or brokenness or joyfulness, whatever it may be for you, your feelings are real. And I believe that in this season, if we allow Him, the Spirit can do some crazy work inside of us. But what does wonder really mean? What is, what is wonder? Why do people say the wonder of Christmas? 
Why do we sing about the wonders of God's love? What does it mean when we say the word wonder? The English Oxford Dictionary says this, a a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. Wonder is something that happens. Wonder is someone, something, is is some kind of 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 thing, some concept, some something going on in your life that causes you to feel a certain way. It's a feeling of amazement. That's what wonder is. And that's why people talk about the wonder of Christmas because it makes you feel a certain way. But what I want you to know throughout this series is is while we are talking about the wonder of Christmas, we're mostly going to talk about how wonderful God is. And we're going to talk about how, yeah, you may feel a certain way, but God doesn't change based on how you feel. God is the same God no matter how you feel about Him. God is the same God no matter how you feel about the situations that you're going through in your life. So as we talk about the wonder of Christmas, maybe we are talking about some feelings and some emotions, but as we talk about the wonder of God, we're talking about a reality and an experience that changes people's lives. And I'm excited to jump into this. In Psalm 17, verse 7, we see the psalmist write this, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries. He says, wondrously show your love. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, I pray that you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says, hey, so here's my prayer for you. I pray that you understand how big God's love is. So this morning, as we begin this series, I think we have to begin with the wonder of God's love. I think it would be a disservice if we started anywhere else because the wonder of God pours out of who He is and He is love. So as we we talk about God's love, this morning, what I want you to to just wrap your brain around, if you can, this morning, and it's really hard to do this, even for me, it's really hard to do this, that God's love, I don't want us to just think intellectually about that. I want us to, to think about how we experience that in a practical way in our life. Because we're really good at knowing about stuff, we're really bad about implementing and experiencing those same things. And one of our key terms here at at Impact, right, part of our mission is to know God's love. So what does that mean, to know God's love? What's it mean to grow in God's love? What's it mean to show God's love to the world? What is God's love? And my prayer for us is that by the time we leave today, is that we understand somewhat the bigness of God's love. And how it is a reality and not just a a thought. How it is an experience and not just some intellectual thing 
that we know. When kids, when asked about love, this is the way that a few of kids responded. An eight-year-old girl said, well, my grandmother wasn't able to bend over to paint her toenails because of her arthritis. My grandpa did it for her, even though his hands had arthritis too. That's love. A five-year-old described love this way. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. A six-year-old with food on his mind, and this is, this is one of my favorites, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody else most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. And if you know me, then that is real love right there. Another little guy said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. But this is probably my favorite one. She said, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. See, everyone has an idea of what love is. And when you ask kids about love, man, they have some, some real raw definitions of what love really is. If you go out to eat with me and I give you my french fries, man, I care about you. And that's, that is the truth. I don't even let my wife take my, take my food off my plate when I'm, when I'm eating. And I love her. But knowing all this doesn't really change our life. I want to explain that to you. So the, the, chemical, the chemical breakdown of water is what? H2O. Which means there's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. We know that. And if you don't know that yet, you will learn that. And that really does nothing for us. When we're thirsty and we need something to drink, understanding the chemical breakdown of water doesn't quench our thirst. Understanding that there's two parts of this and one part of this and we need some clean this and this, none of that helps us. What helps us is when we get that glass of water and we can take it, we can drink it, and then our thirst is quenched. It's kind of like that with God's love. Is that we can know intellectually all the stuff about God's love, but until we take it, until we drink it, then we'll never be quenched. So my prayer for us is that as we talk about the wonders of God's love, we begin to experience it in a new way. We begin to experience it in a way that actually does something to us it's not just some head knowledge that we have. I want to give you four things about God's love. And we're going to, we're going to base this off of the, the verses in Ephesians. We're going to look at the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. Now, I don't think Paul was saying that there's four different dimensions of God's love. What I, what I believe is that Paul was just saying that God's love is complete. That there's this completeness and fullness in the love of God. But if we look at these verses and we just take these words, the wonders of God's love, if you're taking notes, number one is this, God's love is for all people. He starts this off by referring to the width or the breadth of God's love. And as humans, by nature, we limit the width of our love. 
See, it's easy for us sometimes to, to say, man, I love my spouse with everything that I am. I love my kids with everything that I am. But this person next door to me, maybe not so much. Or, man, I'm willing to die for my family. I'm willing to lay down my life for them. But maybe this person over here, I'm not willing to do that for. See, as humans, by nature, we limit the width of our love. And what Paul says and what Scripture teaches all throughout Scripture is that God's love isn't limited. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you came from, no matter what your situation is, God loves you. There is no limit to His love. See, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he says this, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, God's love isn't restricted. It's infinitely wide in scope. Which means He loves everyone. And you're like, yeah, I already knew that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in the fact that God loves everybody, right? Most church people would say that God loves everybody. And most church people would say, so do I. And then we see the way that church people live. And we're like, yeah, man, you don't love people the way that God says to love people. So just because we understand the concept that God loves all people, have we experienced that in our own life? Have we, have we gotten to a place in our relationship with Jesus where His love is so transcendent that we understand in, a, in an experienced type of way that He loves all people? And if He loves all people, He's called us as Christ followers to also love all people. You're like, man, this is just so basic and elementary. We know that God loves all people. We know that we're supposed to love all people. Why are you talking about it? Here's the reason I'm talking about it. Because we still don't act like it. We live life as Christ followers, treating people like they don't deserve any type of love when, when in reality we don't deserve any type of love. And God said, hey, you're a dirty sinner. But even in your sin, even in your dirtiness, I love you and I'm going to send my son Jesus on a rescue mission for you. And we accept that and we take that and we're like, man, this is awesome. I love that I have a relationship with Jesus. And then we treat people like poop. We treat people in a way that God would say, man, this isn't what I'm teaching you. This isn't the way that I love you. In essence, what, what reality really is, is that we don't love people. See, God loves all people, and we limit our love. And until we have the love of God inside of us, pouring out of us, overflowing out of us, there's no way that we can love humanity the way that God loves humanity. See, sometimes it's hard for us to even comprehend a love that is that wide. It's hard for us to comprehend how you can love someone who is so evil. To love someone who is, who is so selfish. To love someone who just doesn't care anything about anyone but their, themselves. And you're like, man, how do you love a person like that? 
And God says, hey, I love you. And you're like that. See, one of the most damaging and destructive things we can do is to think that we're better than someone else. Because Scripture's clear that we're all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and that we all are in need of a Savior. And Scripture's also clear that because God loves all people, He sent Jesus on a rescue mission for all people, for all sinners. Man, we can't miss the fact that there's no more division, there's no more separation, there's no more this person's better, this race is better, this gender's better, there's none of that. What it is, is that all of us are not better and we all need Jesus. It's not that we need to be better people, it's that we're dead people and we need, we need to be brought to life. And then when we're brought to life, we're all alive in Christ. There's no more separation. God loves all people. Number two is this. God's love is for all time. See, the next descriptive word that Paul uses here is length. And length refers to time. And God's love is forever. It's another concept that's really hard for us to understand as humans is that God's love is forever. Forever is just hard to understand. Everything we know in life has an end to it. Everything. The day has an end. Maybe the end time's different for you, especially parents with young kids, right? Maybe the end time, one night's 9.30, the next night's midnight, but you know there's going to be an end and you're going to get at least 30 minutes of sleep. Life's going to be good tomorrow. A lot of prayer, a lot of coffee. But there's an end. And then there's a, there's a start of something. And then you, you kind of go through that process and then there's an end. And what we do as humans is we look toward the end. Right? We do that a lot, especially if we have some type of assignment or we have something going on in life. Right? We know that, hey, so let's just say that you work at, at some kind of manufacturing facility or something and there's a shutdown right? and they shut down everything and there's, there's maintenance that has to be done and then you have to start it back up. Well, because of your amazing planners that work there, give your, some, your planners some love when you get back to that plant. But because of those planners, you kind of have an idea of when the shutdown is going to end and everything will be started back up. And you live this season of work looking at the finish line. You live this part of life looking at the finish line. That, hey, this, this shutdown is going to be done in in two months, and I'm going to be back to normal. I can make it two months. Two weeks passes, and you're like, hey, there's only six weeks left. Three more weeks pass, and you're like, hey, we're three weeks left, and we're back. Everything that we know has an end. You think about, man, you're married, and you think about your spouse, and you think about, man, so I said, till death do us part. She's either going to kill me early, or we're just going to keep going. And I, I haven't decided like internally which one's going to happen with us, right? She's either going to kill me really soon or I think if we can get through like the, the little, we got a three-year-old man, if we can get him to like eight, I think we'll be good and she won't kill me. But he, he's, he's making it tough, man. He's crazy. He's stubborn. He's just like his mom. But as we, as we think about all these things, 
in life, there is an end. And I don't know if you've ever performed the exercise of thinking about forever, but, but it's really difficult. And what happens to me is I begin to, to get these kind of chill things going inside my body. Like, I don't understand what's happening. I'm freaking out. What is, like, forever, I can't even fathom it. And Scripture says God loves you that long. That He loves you that long. There's no end. There's no end. And it's, again, it's hard to fathom. And even if we understand intellectually, have you experienced that type of love from God in your life? Do you live out the fact that God's love for you never ends? It's forever. It's for all time. All this that goes on in your life that has an end, God loves you past that. God loves you past all the finish lines that you're living for. He loves you past that. Psalm 107 Verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And then the first part of verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, once we experience His love and we become redeemed and we're brought from death to life, we can't help but to shout it. We can't help but to say so. We're talking about the love of God who loves all people. We're talking about the love of God who lasts Forever. It endures through all time. And then we say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you saying so in your life? Are you experiencing this love? Number three is God's love is incomparable. Paul says the height of God's love. And when we think about heights, man, I want you to think about the, the Greek term for this was he was talking really about like the height of mountains and the height of comparing something to something else. And I don't know, how many mountain climbers do we have in here that they, y'all just like to do weird stuff like climb mountains? No one? Oh, yeah, okay, we got one. Nobody else? Man, so I've read a lot about it and people get like some rush and it's just something fun. And then there's a sense of accomplishment, right, when you get to the top. And for me, I'd be complaining like step two going up, and I'd be like, yeah, this ain't for me. I need to go back down. Um, for one, again, you know me. I don't like to take risk. It just There's no point. There's a lot of risk analysis that goes on in my life, and that's one that I just don't want to take. But I was reading about some mountain that starts with the letter K. It's like K2, K14, K something. It's a, it's a tall, like the tallest one maybe somewhere. But only like 300 and something people have, have actually climbed this mountain. And for every four people that attempt, one of them dies. And people still do it. And I think it's because we just as human beings, we like the adrenaline, but we also, we, we want to try for something that's greater than anything else. We want to be greater. We want to compare our accomplishments and ourselves to other things and other people. And what Paul does here is he says, hey, so that's cool. We can, we, you can measure whatever you want, but when you measure the love of God to any other love, it's incomparable. 
There's no other love that you will ever experience, that you will ever know, that you will ever see, that you will ever hear about that is comparable to the love of God. His love surpasses all. See, Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is why His love is incomparable. One is because He created it. He is love. Two, He loved us so much. The reason we celebrate this season is that He sent His Son, born of a woman, on a rescue mission for humanity. And He lived a life that we were supposed to live, but couldn't. And then He died a death that we were supposed to die, but didn't. And He defeated death. And He says, this is how I love you. This is the reckless love of God, is that He pours His grace on you and on me when we don't deserve it. There's nothing that can compare to God's love. Number four is this. God's love is life-changing. Paul uses the word depth. God's love. And, and when he talks about depth here, the, the Greek word here refers to the distance beneath the surface. It's, it's the word used to describe how far down the waters are in the ocean. It's also the same word that is used in the parable of the seeds where Jesus says that the seed sown on rocky soil quickly shouts up, but because it has no depth of soil, it dies when the scorching sun shines down upon it. See, when Paul uses the word depth to describe God's love, he is referring to how solid and how authentic God's love is. See, it's something, something that reaches down to the very deepest parts of our being and changes us from the inside out. This is the love of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Then it says, And so we are. That's the love of God. The love of God changes lives. You say, well, man, that sounds great. So we have all these characteristics of God's love, and I don't feel any different. So what's going on? Why am I not feeling any different? How can I know about this love? And I really believe that, that God is who He says He is. And I believe that this love is real. So why, why am I not experiencing something different in my life? And I think that's a good question. I think that's a fair question. I think it's a question you should ask. Because what happens... I think we, we get a lot of information, we get a lot of data, and then we do nothing with the data and the information. And we use this example here a lot because, man, I still struggle with this, but it's kind of like dieting and working out. You get all the data and information you want, but unless you apply it, it does nothing for you. And I'm evidence of that. It does nothing for you unless you do it, right? I know a lot about it. Praise God. It's the same thing with God's love. 
is that we can know everything we want to know about it. And I think that's a good starting point. I think believing that God's love is the way it's described in Scripture, believing God is who He says He is, that's a great starting point for us as human beings. But it's not where we should land. Where we should land is, we want this to be applied to our life. And how do we apply it to our life? And this is how. And I want you to, I want, if you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. Is that we must understand that we are sinners. And because of our sin, we deserve eternity in hell. And hell's not a fun place. Hell is a place of eternity that never ends. It's a place of agony and pain that you can't even imagine. And the, and the worst pain of all is separation from God forever. And we have to own that. We have to say, man, because Adam, right, the first Adam, because Adam was born, he jacked it all up because, of, because Eve wanted to eat of this daggum tree she wasn't supposed to eat from. And, then, and people blame Eve all the time, and I get it because she did eat the fruit. But here's the deal. Adam was there, right? Scripture says, and her husband was beside her. And he just didn't lead well. He didn't lead at all. He just let her do it. And he, he did not step in at all to help lead spiritually. So he messed it up. And because he messed it up, we're born into sin. And we are sinners. And the only way to experience God's love the way that we're called to experience His love is to first admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That we have to be holy before a holy God and we can't do it. We talk about that all the time here, that we're imperfect people engaging a perfect God. And the only way imperfect people can engage a perfect God is because the perfect God sent His perfect Son on a rescue mission for imperfect people. And that's the first step of us experiencing this love. Is that we admit that we need Him. Then we admit that we believe we believe that He's done it all. We believe that He's, he's accomplished everything necessary for salvation. And even that is still intellectual. So I, I, I'm trying to get us here. I'm trying to get us to a place of practicality where we can truly experience it in our life. So we admit we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We believe that He's done everything necessary for our salvation through being born of a woman, which we're celebrating that fact now. The wonder of Christmas is that the, the Savior of the world, God Himself, sent Jesus. From heaven to earth. Fully God. Fully man. And he lived a perfect life. And he experienced all these feelings that you're experiencing this season. He experienced those. He's not disconnected from you. He lived a life of perfection. And then he died on a cross for your sin. We're going to close this morning. Once we... Once we admit, right, that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, we believe that He's done everything necessary for our salvation. We believe He is who He says He is. We believe that the rescue mission was enough. We believe that when He pushed up on His nail-pierced feet and said, it is finished, 
that it counted for me somehow, in some way. We believe that He defeated death. He rose from the grave three days later and He's alive making intercession for believers at the right hand of God. And then you say, okay, well, that sounds good, man. I'm trying to believe all that and I want to believe all that and I do believe all that, but I'm not experiencing any of this in my life. And then this is this is the step. This is the step. Is that we must confess Jesus. We must confess that He is our Savior and He is our Lord. And then we commit to follow Him wherever He leads. See, this is, this is the reality. The reality is this. Is that as we confess Him, and then we commit to Him, our life is forever different. But what happens is we, we want to say that He's our Savior and we believe that, but we don't want to confess that He's our Lord because what Lord means is that He is above all else. What that means for us is that our priorities have to change. What that means for us is that we can't love ourselves more than we love God. It means that we can't focus on our careers more than we love God. It means we can't even focus on our families more than we love God. See, He has to be the center of it all. He has to be the one thing that drives everything. And I'm afraid that a lot of us don't experience the wonder of God's love because we don't get out of our own way. Is because we care more about how we feel. We care more about the pleasantries of life than we care about the Savior of the world. And my prayer for us is that we, in this place, begin to experience the wonders of His love. That we understand how wide it is that God loves all people. We understand how long it is that God loves for all time. And that we we understand how high it is that His love is incomparable. That we understand the depths of God's love. That He changes people from the inside out. See, you're not ever going to change on the outside and then inside just magically changes. We can dress it up however we want to dress it up. We can say the right prayers when we're in small group. We can know the right scriptures. We can all this stuff. None of that matters when the inside is messed up. See, the wonder of God's love is that He changes you from the inside out. And when we begin to follow after Him, our heart is new. When we begin to follow after Him, our our mind begins to be transformed. And our life is forever different. See, my God is a God that changes lives. My God is a God who loves with all that He is. 
My God is a God who is, in fact, and indeed, love. Let's stand together this morning. There could be someone in this room right now who's never made the decision to follow after Jesus. Not an intellectual decision, but the decision to say, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to experience the love of God. I am a sinner. And I'm not telling you to clean yourself up. Man, I'm not telling you that you have to change completely when you walk out of this door. What I'm saying is that you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you say, hey, God, I need you. I want you. And I want to experience this love that is so wonderful. And then you watch His love and His power transform you from the inside out. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today is the day that you say yes to Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you just you're in this you're in this season and you're following Jesus, but you're not really living in the reality of His wonderfulness, of the wonders of His love. And today, you want to make the decision to say, "Man, I want to begin to live in the reality." I want that love to be so evident in my life that it's overflowing in every aspect. And maybe for some of you today, you're just hurting. You're just in this place and you're broken, you're hurting, there's some, there's some struggles in your life. And today you just you want to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. In this moment, you want just to, to experience God in a fresh and new way. Whatever it is for you, man, I pray that you're obedient to what the Spirit's leading you to do in this place. We're going to respond with a song about how reckless God's love is. And it's not reckless in a negative way. It's reckless in a way that, man, His love is so amazing and so wonderful it's so great that we can't even comprehend it. But man, we can experience it. And that's my prayer for you this morning. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.